Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Future of Eye Care. I'm, I'm with Dr. Scott Colonna from West, Westminster Eye Care in Providence, Rhode Island, and also the senior partner of Uppercut Consulting. So thanks for coming to the show, Scott. Bob, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. Sure. So there's there's so much to talk about. Obviously, we'll we'll, we'll let the uh, the audience in on a, a little background secret there that you you and I went to college together, so you know some familiarity there. And uh, so since college, I'm always kind of fascinated to know when did you decide you were going to go into optometry, and where did you end up going to school? You know, originally I thought I was going to go into finance and follow in my my dad's footsteps growing up in New York City, uh, but after lots of conversations with my dad and where he thought finance and the world of finance was going at that time, I visited a family optometrist, a friend of the families in Brooklyn, New York. And I really just loved the interaction and the communication between him and the families he took care of in the community of Brooklyn. And that was really what clicked for me where I started to get interested in optometry and wound up applying and going to back in New York to SUNY optometry to get my optometry degree. So um, it's amazing how a past, you know, generation optometrist that was really into family optometry, then just from one visit with me, put that inside me and was able to do that. And then I wound up marrying an optometrist. So now as a husband and wife, we're taking care of patients for almost 19 years in the New England area. So it's a, it's a great part and a profession to be part of, you know, that's great. So right out of college, you went into optometry school Mm -hmm. And as soon as you graduated, you went right to Westminster. Was that your first position out of school? So my partner and I, John, at the time, we were looking at buying and we knew we wanted to be in private practice. My love for finance and business was something I knew I wanted to do. Uh, we visited practices between from Maine down to Florida, as far west as Nevada, to find the opportunity where we could one of us buy in or both of us buy in um, from a retiring doctor because we figured at that time we weren't used to making any money. So why don't we continue not making any money and just take our lumps right out of school? Uh, the practice we found from a retiring solo practitioner uh, was in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, it was a solo practitioner and we didn't even have enough patients to be full-time when we bought the practice. Uh, two and a half days each we started. Uh, no money. I borrowed my mom's Nissan Maxima from New York to use as a car for the first nine months and uh, borrowed money from our family for the down payment to buy the practice, actually. So we'll talk about it was definitely a family investment and sacrifice for us to make it happen, you know. Uh, and then within a year, John and I, by we'll call it old school networking, visiting, you know, boys and girls clubs, schools, school nurses, doing talks for different associations built ourselves up, up to full time within a year, each of us at the location. So um, we just hit, hit, hit the ground running, boots on the ground, and we did whatever we could to get patients to know about the services we could provide for them. That's a great story. Obviously, old school hustle coming from New York, right? East Coast, uh, East Coast, New York style hustle for sure. Anything you've done recently, I mean, you, you've obviously continued to grow the practice recently saw a post that you were looking for additional doctors. You, you've, you've really grown the practice up since then. So any tips for other practice owners, you know, maybe in more mature practices uh, looking to continue to grow their business? Yeah. 
So for us, we started um, in the beginning, uh, our gross was around $600,000 uh, back in oh, 19 years ago now. And we saw what was going to happen in, in healthcare and realized we wanted to set up a business. We didn't want our, our role at our practice to be our job. You know, I think a lot of us come out of school and unfortunately the curriculums are so packed with so much medical content, which is obviously vital to our, the expansion of our practices and our profession going forward, um, but we don't get the business background of things. So by looking at the business model, we looked at the 600,000 and a couple of years ago, we, we actually 10X'd it to over 6 million at the main location by building and learning how to build the business structure. You know, um, I've always had business mentors in my life and they've helped us set up what's important at practices from your culture and your culture, your culture is vital to growing your, your team, your championship team, understanding your finance, your marketing, your sales, you know, the HR part of your culture. Those are the, the real components that have helped us elevate to where we are now. Uh, we have, we have our 11th doctor joining our staff um, next week, actually. So we were hiring and looking to fill part of our expansion. So that's been great. Uh, we are right now two locations, one large one, one smaller one. And we are in paperwork actually to expand with three further locations before the end of the year. So there is opportunity out there right now for anybody in our field. And if you keep your eyes up and you keep looking and stay aggressive, there's some amazing opportunities to expand and build your empire that way. Absolutely, I've heard you talk about the empire building before, but I definitely wanna go into that. But before that, I, I wanna dig in a little bit to what you talked about with culture. Yes. A lot of people on LinkedIn talk about culture. A lot of companies talk about culture. Uh, you know, it was Enron used to talk about culture, right? So it's true. a lot of employees out there, they kind of hear it. It kind of goes in one ear out the other. What is some some cultural aspects of your individual business that, that you think you, you really hang your hat on? I mean, your company's core values, anything that you think in particularly has really helped you grow your business? Yeah. So, you know, the core values definitely come from myself and my business partner, John. You know, they have to be something that we live each day because we cannot expect our work family and our championship team to do things a certain way and us not to lead that way, you know? And I'll say early on in my career, I did not understand that because it wasn't experienced. You need to go through certain experiences to build the resume and, and, and become someone that is part of a team, right? You just can't come in and say, I'm the owner of a practice, I'm the CEO, and know exactly what to do, right? Um, experiences is what we learn from. We keep our ears open and our eyes open to really, uh, I'm always learning still. You know, I've been doing this for 19 years and coming from New York, I probably wasn't originally with that mindset and thought I knew a lot of stuff initially, but then you kind of get your butt kicked a little bit and you realize I need to step up my game and learn. So from the, the culture aspect of things, really involving our staff and our work family and talking to them about their goals in their personal life, in their professional life is something that's been enormous for us and why we have a key group of people that have been with us from the start, you know, understanding why they come to work. Why are they coming to take care of patients in the community? If you start to talk to them about that and truly listen to their why, their why should align with the why of the company. 
And I feel like it's not going to be perfect because there's people out there that their why does not align with our company's why, right? And that's okay, right? But I think that sets us up to be more successful in hiring, more successful in training, and, and just better patient care and customer service for all of our companies at this point, you know? So truly listening to people's why and how they want to make an impact and getting input in areas, you know, a corporate world 30 years ago was the CEO was at the top, the CEO gave the orders. Then it kind of flipped and everybody was like, you got to listen to everybody's opinions and stuff. And I kind of do a hybrid version with that with our team and our management team, where if you're in an area, say our call center. So we were one of the first places to set up a true call center for incoming calls and how to answer those personally. And we actually give a, I give a presentation on it at um, an IDOC conference, probably 10 or 12 years ago. And the whole point of it was the people on the phone are the first contact with our potential clients. I should be listening to the questions and the input on how to improve our phone answering and how can we better serve the patients that are calling, right? Because they're the first encounter. It's not me in the exam room. So we started to put that in place in each department. So we have department leaders, we have less management in between. We still have managers, but really the leaders and supervisors in each department meet with their team for their daily huddles. We have weekly team meetings and we get input on how we could serve the patients better based on their feedback with solutions. And I'll tell you, it's been amazing because they take accountability in it and ownership in their job. And they're not micromanaged because we don't have time and nor do we want to micromanage anybody. They don't want to be in a work environment like that. Um, so that's really how we have treated our culture. We've really respected their input and their questions as long as they bring solutions because anybody could come and say things and say, this isn't working, this isn't working, but we want people that are going to come up with a possible solution to make it better for our patients and for our coworkers. Always agreed with that. Always thought it was great to have feedback from from the boots on the ground, the sales team. You know, in my instance, but one requirement was always come at me with a solution to the problem that you have, because I can't think of everything. I can't think of every you know uh, solution, every problem. So definitely agree. It's, it sounds like a great culture that you have over there. Aligning the why is critical. I have a background with uh, with startups, and and one of those those startups used a, a management. Uh, program called High Performance Management Systems, HPMS, which was, was pretty well known. And you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with the CEO, uh, you know, in the past used to just say, this is the way it's going to be. And then it kind of flipped up and said, let's hear what everyone has to say. But then the next portion of that, that's, that's identifying current state problems, which is right. great. That's the time to air all those grievances. Then you get together and you say, what are you going to focus on? So I think that's one of the most important aspects is it's real easy to list the hundred things that are wrong, yes. but you don't have the resources to fix a hundred things. So it's like, you got to pick the few critical things. Those are the vital few and you go from there, but it sounds like you've done just a tremendous job, uh, you know, growing your business. there, incredibly successful, multiple locations, uh, you know, great revenue numbers. Something I wanted to talk with you about, obviously, before we get into uppercut consulting was, I also know that that you own your own lab as well. So you're controlling more of your supply chain, which yeah. is, is really critical, especially in these COVID times too, right? You had more control over that. Talk to me and, and our audience about 
you know, what led you to, you know, how did you go about purchasing your own lab? Mm-hmm. Why should every doctor do something like that? Because I know most do not at all. Yeah, you know, it started with we wanted to just give better service to our patients more efficiently, right? Um, lots of other corporate entities were offering same day service or two hour turnaround and so forth. And we wanted to just improve on that turnaround experience for our patients, you know, so that's how it began and came up with the idea, John and I back in, I think it was 2011 when we started the idea. And at the time I was on the uh, RIOA board and I pitched the idea to our association that we should, something we should look into and, and offered for anybody to be involved in it, almost like a cooperative because it would be a win-win for the patients, a win-win for the doctors. They could be able to save money and then pass that savings on to our patients and control costs, you know? And it wasn't the intent to eliminate some of the great companies that are out there that do give, you know, higher end products and stuff. It was supposed to fill uh, an area where people were losing clients that were walking out and ordering things online instead of in the private practice, you know? area. So that's how it truly began. And then as we built it and took on more business and more clients, it helped us negotiate better. There is power in numbers in any industry, you know? So I do believe that our industry um, really revolves around the doctor and from the patients, the patient feedback, the doctor understands that. And then we could all be successful, whether it's different platforms, different labs, different so forth vendors out there, because the doctor has built this respect in the community and can get honest information out to his patients and clients, you know? Um, And then there's, once you hit a certain point in your revenue, then you should start to consider, can I do my in in office work myself? And it improves that turnaround. You can control your quality better. Um, I know a lot of people look at it as, oh, it's an additional staff member or two, and it's more of a headache and it's more of this, but you know, money just does not fall down from the sky. It does require some work. And if you're looking to grow and increase your patient satisfaction, you know, hiring an extra person that controls it and bringing it in house. Now you could still get your lenses and your lens blanks from a company like Mandalay Optical that we own, if that's the niche that you need to add to your practice, but then you're controlling the quality. And as we know with everything in the pandemic time, you know, supply chains have been disrupted um, beyond belief at this point, you know, so a lot of us are trying to figure out, okay, we have to apologize to patients. It's taking longer. And the patients have been great. Everybody knows what our country is battling together at this time, but it's extra time phone calls and it's not things that you want or have the staff to be handling right now, you know? So that's really how it was intended. It was one of those things, you know, for doctors by doctors, to pass on to the practices and pass on to their patients to, you know, fill a void in their financial, but also in their quality. That's great. You're hitting multiple notes there where it's good for your patients. It's good for your practice. Ultimately, it's good for your business, you know, so it makes both uh, financial sense as well as patient benefit sense. So, I mean, you're, you're really hitting all the proper notes there really from a business perspective. So let's transition then into you've had all this success and you've decided you need to teach everybody else how to do it. And uh, so, so walk us through kind of how, how you came up with the idea to start Uppercut Consulting and, and, and tell us about Uppercut Consulting. Yeah. Um, you know, Uppercut truly started years ago. So from my background in business and, and John's, you know, we, we basically would always help 
other optometrists in the general area of New England and other small business owners just get their business off the ground and stuff. You know, being in that survival mode when we first bought the practice and having the 80 hour work weeks and certain insurances not paying us for weeks and not paying paychecks, we knew those hurdles that we went through. And we felt like we could give back to the community, especially the optometric community. Um, if we could save you just a couple of years of that pain and, and possible loss of time, which time translates into money in our industry, it was, it was something that we felt we could do. And it kind of happened by chance. So what started was we started our virtual training platform, iAcademy. And it was just a way for us to help train employees on, you know, the HIPAA compliance. It has testing in there. Uh, then it started to medical assistance training. And so that was the intent of Uppercut at first, to do a virtual and online academy. And then it turned into phone calls from everybody asking for us, can you coach us? Can you consult us? We need help with this. And we want to get our practice to where you are now. About four years ago, John and I built a business to the point of where we could remove ourselves from seeing patients on a day-to-day -day basis. So at 42 years old, a lot of people are like, wow, how did you do that? Can you help me do that? Can you really help me build a business instead of secure my own job as a, as a practice owner? So we've shared with numerous clients throughout the country over the last four years how to get the process done. And it takes time. You know, Again, it's not something nothing is really a get rich, you know, quick scheme overnight. Uh, but it's been rewarding uh, speaking at schools and private practice communities inside the schools as we traveled around the country up until March. I just really felt I enjoyed it very much. And I loved having the conversations with the future of our profession because their minds are just like sponges right now, but they also have great viewpoints on things and the way that we could use social media, the way we could reach our patients and clients and educate them better. Like their generation is only going to add to the success of our profession. And if we continue to keep our, our eyes up, I always say, and look at things as possible opportunities to collaborate, you could take your practice. And we do this with a lot of our clients. They'll call us and say, I'm looking to expand. Can you help me evaluate and set it up? Yes, we could help you do that. Um, if you're just looking to build your culture, if you're looking to understand your P&L better, like those are the things we do. Uh, we didn't expect to, uh, you know, be partners with people forever. Our goal is I look at myself as a coach playing sports. How can I coach you so that you could go out and do the job on the field yourself? You know, um, I want to be friends with you. I want to go to masterminds that we have and and share a drink. And, and talk about your successes. I wanna to get to know your family. Those are the things that I'm really looking for to help build our community because the optometric profession is, has been awesome to my wife and I and to my kids and to all of our employees that live here. It gives, it just the extension of what we do in our profession is so valuable and so important. I think sometimes we take it for granted. So um, that's really how Uppercut started and what it's become. And um, where it goes and continues to go, I kind of let it take itself in that direction at this point, because it's a ton of fun and I get to meet great people, you know, and that's what it's all about, meeting great peer people and helping them build. As you mentioned, you know, I, I do a show, it's called Empire Builder. So Empire Builder is about you building your empire. It's not my empire. How can we help you accomplish your goals so that you could 
have a business, enjoy your quality and your family time, undistract, undistract, you know, distracted from the phone ringing or people calling out or the fires we do in business every day. How can we set it up so that you can truly enjoy your life the way you want and build your empire, um, not the way I want it to be? My picture and your picture of our lives are very different, right? Just like anybody else. And that's what it's really about. So it's a more personal company uppercut. It's not a cookie cutter, boilerplate. This is what we do. And it's basically all tested and learned in the trenches because right now I'm in the basement of the main location. So I'm still here. I am learning every day about what's going on. Um, and it's based on experience. That's what it really is, so. That's great. There's a ton to unpack there, obviously. But one place I guess I would start would be, you know, you've built a business as opposed to, uh, you know, the average optometrist. I probably have called on over 2000 locations in the past 10 years, launching stuff new and just going out cold calling from the entire West Coast of the country, right? So I would say the average optometrist, if you if you if you ever read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki's book, right? You know, the average optometrist is a self-employed, high-skilled laborer. Yes, they don't go in, they don't get paid. And and you've built a business where and now you're even beyond that where, where you're investing in, uh, in, in various, you know, business entities. So, you know, congratulations, obviously, you've, you've moved through all four quadrants, right. And uh, so it, it really is a tremendous success. And that's, that's the goal that I think a lot of people have from a financial perspective. But you've also touched on so many other notes, you know, obviously, the family I know is so important to you, mm -hmm. the wife and kids. And, uh, you know, so similar here too. So I, I totally get what you're saying. Ultimately, with what's happened with COVID, I think everyone has a newfound appreciation for, for that as well. And not leaving and traveling as much as they used to for work or being away from home. So I, I think, uh, you know, you've done a tremendous job. Let's kind of shift gears a little bit there and talk about kind of the future of eye care then, because you hit some notes there as well. And, and that's kind of, you know, being a consultant, you're seeing a lot that's going on out there and being a business owner, you're involved in a lot of different things. I think you hit on some notes with social media and and just some other things that are going to be available to the newer generation. Certainly optometry and how optometrists make money going forward is not going to look the same as it did when you started 20 years ago. Margins on products, contact lenses, glasses, frames. Uh, so, you know, I think specializing is probably a place where that's what I'm hearing. So I'm definitely curious to get your thoughts on kind of all that in terms of your brand new grad, okay, you're, you're going to join a practice. Let's say you're going to buy in just like you did. Yeah. What are you going to do to differentiate so that you're not just like surviving, but, but like you're thriving through the next 10 to 20 years? Like what would be your, your five-year playbook for a new grad? Yeah. So for a new grad, I would look at your personal why and your interests. So whether it's, you know, vision therapy, whether it's specialty contact lenses, whether it's, you know, ocular disease, you know, the different aspects of things of what you're truly passionate about. Now, I, I don't recommend that you pigeonhole yourself and specialize only to see those patients right from the very beginning, because you do have to build a practice and you do have to build a following first. So by getting on different insurance panels and also seeing as many patients in the community while giving back to the community at first, you know, will help you build your niche on what you specialize in. And then you can go and visit. So say if you're in vision therapy and obviously a vision therapy, we tend to net 
um, a greater amount than a traditional optometric practice, right? Because of that specialized skill, but you still need to set up the business model, but you're not going to be able to hire your occupational therapist to run your, your, you know, therapy group right away. So you do want to meet with the schools. You do want to be the, basically the expert in your community and start to do that right from the beginning, you know? And then when you're setting up your business model, you want to have a playbook and say, when I get to this in revenue, I'm going to hire this person and they're going to help me because delegation is the way to expansion. And just having clear cut job descriptions and communication with whoever you're bringing on takes the vague vagueness out of what's really responsible between you and me. It takes away that confusion, you know? So the young grads find out what you're passionate about in our industry. And now then there's some of them that are saying, I'm not passionate about it. My goal is to pay off my student loans because I'm $300,000 in debt right now, you know? And I'm like, okay, I understand that. But there's a time to pay off those loans and you got to talk to your financial advisor on, is it smart to just bang them out right away? Or is it smart to take that money and buy a practice right away? How am I going to get a better return on my money right away? You know? So I've had those discussions with new grads as they build their passion for what they're doing, but understanding that there's a financial aspect to it. Because I've always really tried to understand, have people understand that I am a very direct and honest person. And people don't come to me and pay me for, for me to just make them feel comfortable. I'm going to give you the direct and honest truth about what can I expect, you know? And if you're going to come out and you need to make X amount of dollars for your life expenses, well, you're going to have to give on your why a little bit in the beginning, right? Like you can't, you know, there's the saying you can't have your cake and eat it too. Well, I believe you can, you just have to be patient for that to evolve and put a plan in place. You know, um, one of my great mentors says, well, that's the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, why can you have the cake, but you can't eat it? Like everybody wants cake, you're going to eat it, right? So, so if you look at it that way, the young grads can accomplish this, but they just need to set up a plan, figure out what drives them every day. What are they excited to deliver? It's about the service. What can we do for our community? What kind of service can you give to them? because the money in our industry will follow if you give the service and you wholeheartedly do by means of, I'm not a believer in fake it till you make it kind of stuff, right? If you go in, you care about your patients, you care about your staff, you treat them with respect and you learn the business side of things, you will build an unbelievable career in optometry. And, and that will support lots of families, lots of children, your employees. So, that five-year plan has to revolve around your why, but also understanding the financial part of it and how to make that happen. I don't tell people like, yes, uh, you would like to go to Disney and you would have, you know, all my kids love Disney and everything's great about it. But, you know, Disney makes dreams come true, but there's a financial part to Disney as they're seeing right now during this pandemic. There's only so many dreams they could accomplish and help out right now, you know. So understanding your why and the finance would really set you up in that first three to five years to put together a successful plan for building, you know, your own goals and empire. I think that's, that's great advice for, for, for the younger grads. Let's talk a little bit more about the top, the top tier practices, right? That's where I've, I've kind of built my career focusing pretty much whenever you launch something new, it's the early adopters. The early adopters tend to be, you know, the, the most profitable best run practices, right? Because they're, they're the ones who like to buy all the new toys 
And uh, so I'm kind of curious to get from you. So you, you've built a tremendous practice. I would, I'm sure you have all the bells and whistles in, 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 in your, in your offices, right? Um, what are some of the major pain points? You just had to hire some, some optometrists, for example, you're expanding. I, I hear from some people, uh, patient acquisition and retention is mm-hmm. a major pain point. Then I also hear hiring and retaining associate ODs is a major pain point. So I'm curious to hear your, your input. Obviously, I'm asking for my own market research for, for what I'm doing on the teleoptometry side, right? So I'm, I, I want to better understand it for myself from a marketing perspective. So I'm curious to hear from you kind of your thoughts on if you were me trying to craft messaging for right. to appeal to the top tier practices, what right. would you say are, are some of the major pain points? So from a patient retention aspect of things. I do believe that because of the pandemic, there's going to be an amazing opportunity back to private practice, specifically just because of market share. Okay. And I've seen it in our practices where we have long waits for patients to get in right now, you know, which is a great thing. But the problem is when you have patients waiting more than two weeks or three weeks, statistically, they are going to look to go somewhere else. Right. So that is a need we have to fill. And I'm a believer in, and it is not popular uh, across our industry and our profession, but I like to make sure that everybody is happy that leaves here, employees, our work family, and our patients. So I believe that we do whatever we can. You know, we teach whatever the patient's issue is to, first of all, let's, let's hold ourselves accountable for it, right? Let's, we always apologize first even if it's not our fault, okay? And that doesn't mean, I mean I'm, I'm not backing my employees. I love my employees to death, okay? But at times we all make mistakes. I make mistakes 19 years in, right? We have to accept responsibility of that. There might've been a miscommun- miscommunication with the patient and we need to make it right. So that has helped our patient retention immensely. And then for the coaching clients that I do throughout optometry and other industries, that really has been great, especially during this pandemic, right? Because people want to know that you care. People want to know that you listen. So if you take that extra time to just listen, they're going to stay with your practice. They're going to be part of it in your community even more. Uh, As far as hiring, yes, hiring has been a challenge because of COVID, especially, you know, uh, we have medical assistance. There's numbers of practices that are short medical assistance because of that direct patient exposure potential and encounter. Um, and they didn't take the oath that optometrists did in school to take care of their patients at whatever cost, you know? So that is across the country right now. But I will say that the true people that are part of your team, you should reward in different ways to let them know you appreciate them working through these challenging times, you know? So whether it's a, a hero pay program or different things to let them know, like you guys are coming in, you're giving your all for the patients. We appreciate that. What can we do to help you? And sometimes it's just like a gift card to Starbucks or um, take the afternoon off and go get uh, a manicure for a female employee or, or just different things to let them know you appreciate what they've been doing for the patient care of things, you know? As far as optometrists coming out, it's very challenging for young optometrists right now because they're coming out in the middle of a pandemic. They're not sure exactly where they want to be in that space. Do I wanna be 
in private practice? Do I want to be in a corporate setting? How can I deliver, you know, they're going through that growth phase of things, you know? So it is challenging. And a lot of them are coming out again in very high debt. I mean, I have interviewed doctors that have been 300 or $400,000 in debt. And I'm going to tell you that the only way to make up for that is how much really can you generate, you know? And there's only so much you could physically generate yourself, right? Depending on the setting you're in. So the pressure to pay off student debt is something that is a burden to them. And I think it takes away their pure passion and enjoyment for our, our industry and our profession. And the debt thing is not something that I could solve. But the only thing we could really do is we could coach them and let them know that we understand what's important to them and help them attain their goals. So we have a couple of doctors that their main professional goal is to pay off their debt within two years. We sit down, we come up with a plan with them and say, how are we going to get there? How many patients are you going to see? Do we have a pretester? Do you have a scribe? Do you want to pay someone to see additional patients? Do you want to work weekends? Do you want to work nights? If that's their goal, we try to work with them to accomplish that burden or that goal of that student debt. And that's what I think is really the challenge because a lot of them are searching, but what's drawing their, their search is how much can I make? And then they find themselves in a situation or even a city where they never thought they would live you know, with their families and stuff. So trying to really talk with them and understand what they are trying to accomplish, why they are in our profession to see if they're fit for your practice. You know, we can't just treat all graduating optometrists the same. They have um, different situations and are looking for different interests. And I think we just have to be more personal with it. You know, we put an ad out for um, our main location I'd say four weeks ago, I think it was. Uh, we did it on LinkedIn. We did it on Indeed. And we got an amazing turnout. Um, we hired, we went and hired one person. We wound up hiring two for the future expansion of things. And, and we put together some great programs. They get base pays, base packages that are industry, like right on the point. But then they also have a hybrid version of where if they go above and beyond, they have a sharing, a profit sharing where the company shares with them and they can make tens, if not even a hundred thousand dollars more if they really want to just belt out those loans, you know? So the opportunity in the conversation is what I think will help us get past this initial hurdle to things, but optometry does have its limits. I mean, I'd like to say optometrists can make $2 million a year, but seeing your own patients, it's going to be really hard for you to do $2 million a year. You know, I know guys that do two, $3 million in their practice, solo practitioners, they net 40, 50. I know one guy that nets close to 60%, but he does it all. Like he edges his own jobs at night, you know? So it, it, there's numbers out there. It's like, what do you, what do you want to put into it is what you're going to kind of get out of it. And you have to have that balance for what works for the new grads, you know? Well, some, someone netting 50% on a $2 million practice is pretty much crushing it by optometry standards, right? So that, that's, that sounds fantastic. Let's, uh, let's close out with this. I mean, I could talk with you for, for hours here. I mean, you have so much, so much wisdom and knowledge, you know, so when the whole COVID thing's over, we'll have to catch up for a drink at a show for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll be in New York in May. It looks like uh, Vision Expo East will, will be in May this year. So it'll, mm -hmm. it'll be nice weather, act, actually, if, if you're going to be down there for Vision Expo East again. Yeah. 
So definitely look forward to catching up down there with you. Just just kind of any closing words, kind of the, you know, the title of the show is the future of eye care. Anything that you see out there in any segment of eye care, whether it's, you know, ophthalmology, optometry, you know, you know, lenses, cataracts, LASIK, whatever it may be, anything you see out there that is really interesting to you right now regarding the future of eye care? Yeah. So I'll say that for the, I do believe the future of our profession is very bright. You know, I know there are things out there that people talk about with, you know, vision plans and discount plans and all this stuff ending our profession. Our profession is what we make of it. And there's lots of opportunity in it. But I'll tell you the, the embracing of technology and to be able to expand our reach to more and more patients in a different area is, is really vital and is much needed because as doctors, we tend to congregate around the same cities, the same areas and so forth, but there's patients across the entire country that could benefit from our services. And be, being able to acknowledge technology out there that could help us reach patients, whether it's from eye care, eye exams, whether it's social media, however we could reach them and educate them, our profession is what you make of it. We are the only people that limit what we do in our profession as providers. And I believe we should control our profession and make the decisions in the best interest for our patients. So, you know, embracing technology and being able to um, encounter more patients or ones that cannot get out, look at what this has done. This has changed, almost sped up, I believe, eight to 10 years in how we need to take care of our patients. How do we reach our patients? How do we reach our elderly patients that can't come out because they're afraid of conduct, you know, contracting the virus? Utilize the technology that's out there, at least look into it with an open mindset to allow us to give the great care that we were all taught in schools and continue to grow our profession and reach more people. That would be the thing I would look into the most. That's great, Scott. I really appreciate you joining the show. Uh, look forward to catching up with you in the future. And, uh, and, you know, that it was, it was definitely a pleasure having you on. I appreciate your time and thanks for having me on. It's an honor and I look forward to that drink in New York.